Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. For those that are tracking a rehab with a navicular case, feel free to check out the Humble Hoof Rehab Guide, a workbook to help you balance your horse's diet for hoof health, watch for proper movement, track vet and farrier appointments, and follow a sequential back-to-work plan alongside an exercise log. You can find it at thehumblehoof.com shop, and you can use the code THEHUMBLEHOOF for 10% off at checkout. Most people who know me at all know I have a little bit of an obsession with navicular diagnoses. In fact, there have been quite a few navicular-focused episodes on the podcast before. One called Navicular Rehab with Nick Barker, one called Long Toe Woes with Dr. Bowker, and bits and pieces of navicular information throughout other conversations as well. In fact, my own Mustang gelding was diagnosed with a navicular disease just a few months after I purchased him, and it changed the entire trajectory of my life. You can hear more about that in the episode about his diagnosis and rehab called Case Study Number 1, DDFT Tears and Navicular Bone Damage. All of these are searchable online if you want to hear them, and they might help add context to this episode. The four horse owners interviewed for this podcast episode... Carrie, Taylor, Hannah, and Laura all had horses with varying degrees of lameness from mildly lame to so lame the vet suggested euthanasia due to their navicular diagnosis. All of them had fairly guarded prognoses, and all of these horses are now back in work, some back in competition at the same level or higher than before they went lame. And the coolest part to me is that none of them are on any maintenance NZs, no pain management, no injections, no corrective shoeing. So for those of you with navicular cases that are feeling hopeless, I hope this conversation gives you hope. Before we even get into this episode, I want to simply define what we mean by navicular pain. Typically, navicular is diagnosed when a lame horse becomes sound when a vet performs something called a palmar digital nerve block, which numbs the back half of the foot. If navicular bone damage is found on radiographs, then the horse is often said to have navicular disease, and if there is no damage found, it's said to have navicular syndrome. Now we know so much more about the structures that can become damaged or injured in the back half of the foot so much so that the term navicular is even becoming a bit outdated. We now can often see it swapped out with caudal hoof pain or issues with the pototrochular apparatus. The deep digital flexor tendon, impar ligament, and collateral ligaments can all be affected or causing pain in the back half of the foot without anything showing up on radiographs. With soft tissue damage requiring rest and proper rehab, you can probably see why then the typical approach of NSAIDs and corrective shoeing and simply returning to work right away might be problematic for navicular cases with soft tissue damage. A horse can have a deep central sulcus infection affecting sensitive tissue or an overly atrophied digital cushion, crushed heels, or poor phalangeal alignment. And all of these can nerve block sound to the back half of the foot. Navicular rehab is definitely a passion of mine and a focus in my hoof care practice. If you want to read a bit more about the approach, there's an article on thehumblehoof.com called What's the Deal with Navicular, which will go much more in depth. 
but basically, we seek to rule out any potential cause of pain or inflammation in the hoof capsule, grow a healthier foot, and see how sound the horse becomes. In a large amount of cases, simple diet changes to reduce inflammatory ingredients in their diet, providing the horse with a proper balanced amount of minerals and nutrients in their diet to meet frank deficiencies, and careful rehab with proper biomechanics to strengthen the hoof capsule brings these horses back to soundness and ridden work, even in cases with bone damage and soft tissue damage. We are just giving the soft tissue a chance to heal, the foot a chance to develop and compensate for internal pathology, and the horse a chance to build up strength slowly and carefully. So yes, it might mean time off work, but ultimately it can mean a sounder horse long-term with less maintenance. So why don't we start with Laura? Cause that's the first name that comes up on my screen. Hi, I'm, I'm Laura. I originally come from Finland. At the moment I live in the Southeast of England. I've spent quite a lot of time also in the States and um, I work as an equestrian professional. So I do a lot of horse training and I've got four horses myself. And uh, my oldest horse is the one with navicular diagnosis. He's now 26. Great. Awesome. And um, how about Taylor? Um, so I'm Taylor. I'm from England. I am currently a student going to university next year to study to become a vet. And I just have the one horse um, who was diagnosed with navicular at the start of 2021. Oh, wow, so not too long ago. All right, and how about Hannah? Sure, I'm uh, Hannah. I'm Swedish originally, but I live in the UK um, the last 15 years. I have uh, two horses, two thoroughbred racehorses, and um, it's my older one, actually, is now 14, that uh, had the injuries two years ago. Yeah, I'm Carrie. I live in Montana. Squirt, well, she was diagnosed heel sore in 2018, and she was probably eight, maybe eight or nine at the time. I didn't want to do the vet wanted to do, and I had some experience with taking horses barefoot before, so we took her barefoot, and she's sound now, and she was pretty lame. Wow. So, I mean, that was 2018. <clears throat> yeah, that's awesome. And that's kind of like the bulk of what we I want to talk about today is basically, you know, some of the diagnoses that you guys have gotten and, and even as specific as you can get, because I know that a navicular diagnosis encompasses so much. I mean, there's so much in the back half of the foot that you don't even realize. I mean, soft tissue, bone, um, you know, some horses have uh, impar ligament tears or DDFT tears or collateral ligament tears or, you know, tendinitis or bone damage. Um, and all of those can result in a navicular diagnosis. And I think that a lot of people get kind of hung up on seeing bone damage um, and feeling like that's the end for their horse or hearing that their horse has a ligament tear and thinking that there's no way they can go back to compete again. So I'm hoping that this is sort of just a conversation that helps to encourage others who maybe have a diagnosis that sounds so scary. So most of you or all of you have had your horses diagnosed with like, quote unquote, navicular, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then do all of your horses, were they all diagnosed through x-rays or did anybody have an MRI done? I had an MRI done, first x-rays that showed... Uh, changes in the navicular bone and then an MRI that came up with a very long list of soft tissue damage, bone damage, bone remodeling. 
it's a quite an extensive list and a very firm navicular disease diagnosis. Yeah, I um, I also had, an, well, originally had x-rays and then when he was still lame after the second set of x-rays then got referred for an MRI and then we got, the again, the long list of uh, soft tissue damage. I had x-rays done um but it didn't show any bone damage on my horse but we didn't mri we still haven't done x-rays on sport but we just blocked her because she was so lame we were trying to figure out why she was so lame and that's when they diagnosed her heel sore but see i i didn't really want to spend the money at the vet so i immediately found an osteopath and a barefoot trimmer is what i did and we got her sound i mean we were it was like it did take like a year though it yeah. wasn't like an overnight fix. You know, they were like, oh, you need to do osphos and bar shoes. Yeah. But instead of doing that, we just took like a year. So in terms of prognosis, I mean, I know that some of you said that you had some pretty disheartening prognoses from the vet, like saying that, was it Laura? Who was it so that said that the vet yeah, recommended but- euthanasia? No, with my horse, they said probably 50-50, whether he will become riding sound again. And certainly no jumping. So they said quite extensive damage already. So probably not very good news. Yeah. And they they did say it's a degenerative disease, so it will just keep getting worse. But we can try and slow the progress by putting wedges on, remedial shoeing, um, starting him on children and, and so forth. So we did all of that at the beginning. And um, he was in the wedges for six years and slowly got worse. So he got back to being pretty sound for a few years and then slowly started to get worse and started to move very badly on hard ground. I could only really do something with him on soft ground. Then when he was 18, he had another injury. He had a stifle injury and he was really lame with that. And at the same time, my farrier, who had for a long time been telling me to think about barefoot option um he was on long-term sick leave he broke his leg and then he had a back injury so at that time I couldn't find another farrier to do the remedial shoeing the way I wanted it so I decided to try barefoot and I was completely gobsmacked that he actually started getting better and uh sort of fast forward to 2022 he's now 26 years old in full work today i rode him for an hour and a half on all sorts of terrain you know stones all sorts hard ground nothing is really a problem he will walk drop canter over everything that is amazing and actually i do have some follow-up questions about him about your horse so when you were talking about like the the stuff that you started i mean obviously that was all like more a traditional, like when you get a navicular diagnosis, a lot of times the recommendation is like the osphos or a bisphosphonate and yeah. then bar shoes and wedges. And yeah. did, did you have any even like short-term um, improvement with those? Because I think some people... Yes, I did. So um, he, because of all the soft tissue damage, he had four months box rest, which is in hand walking. And he had the wet shoes, he had um, children, and he became completely sound eventually. But that lasted maybe three years, and then gradually he started getting worse. So in shoes, it appeared to be a degenerative disease because all of the long-term predictions were coming through. Yeah. 
And then now, because you said that you even just wrote them today, is he on any kind of maintenance? Like, do you do anything other than, you know, regular trims and a good diet? I, right. His diet is extremely easy. He has grass and he has a salt lick. <laughs> and so our fields are actually very good. We are on chalk ground and they are all permanent pasture. So not very rich gr- grass at all. Um, very varied. Uh, well draining ground, but he lives out twenty four seven year round. I haven't been trimming his hooves now for probably five or six years, so we have kind of gone full into the uh, the Rockley Farm philosophy of horse knows best. Um, for a long time, I experimented with different trims and just trimming a little bit, but I was never able to improve his soundness. By trimming, so in the end, I just left him, and sometimes his hooves might look untidy, but as long as I don't touch them, he's sound. Out of my four horses, three of them get trimmed, but the navicular horse does best self-trimming. So I just make sure that I ride him daily and other varied terrain. Yeah, and I and I'm like a little embarrassed to say this because I am a I'm a full time hoof care provider, but my own <laughs> navicular horse is the most sound when I let him keep his balance exactly how he wants it, and I don't try to change it. <laughs> I basically, yeah. you know, I just let him. He, he is ninety percent like self trimming. He gets a lot of movement. He's out twenty four seven. He's on eight acres of very train. Yeah. But man, he is the soundest he's ever been, and it's whenever I try to mess with his feet that and it you know it's it's basically trying to quote unquote mess with his feet based on x-rays and what his balance quote unquote should be. Yeah. But yeah, I totally understand that. It's so funny. It's so weird to think about how. It's amazing. And now if we have any hoof care providers at the yard or any vets, I don't even allow them to see him because I don't want to be dragged into the conversation on what his hooves should look like. All I look at is how he moves and if he's comfortable then I will just close my eyes and say, wear your hooves the way you want to. And I ride him daily. So if his hooves look like they need a trim, we go for a longer ride. And that's all we do. Yeah. And I wanted to let you sort of like tell your whole story because I think it makes more sense to go through, you know, your prognosis and what you're doing now. So sorry for everybody yeah. else who's who's just listening, but is anybody else willing to sort of share their same kind of journey of, you know, what the vet said after the diagnosis um, and... Well, I should have, when you said, who was it whose vet said euthanasia, that that was me. That was last summer. So Frankie got died, well, he went lame in, at the end of 2020. We had x-rays done, nerve blocks done, localised it to around the coffin joint, somewhere around the foot. Initially, the x-rays showed quite a significant imbalance in his feet, a medial lateral imbalance. So the vet said, okay, you know, he's not insured either. I was, or I still am a student with two part-time jobs. That was fun for him myself. So the vet said, okay, we'll, we'll start with fixing this imbalance and, and seeing what happens. So x-rays got sent to the farrier, spent about five, about five months correcting the imbalance. X-rays were redone. The balance was much better. Frankie was more lame than he had been to start with. So that's when we got referred to an MRI, which... So I went to Newmarket in March 2021, had the MRI done, which came back with um, chronic but active pathology to the navicular bone and supporting ligaments consistent with navicular disease. 
and an area of active inflammation present within the medial collateral ligament of the coffin joint, as well as some coffin joint arthritis as well and side bone. So the vet, or Frankie's vet and the vet at Newmarket at the time told me that it was a 50-50 prognosis of getting him anywhere near riding sound again. So, and my best chance of doing that was to have navicular bursar injections and rocker shoes put on him. So we did that. The first week or two or a couple of weeks, he looked better. And then it like, it switched and he just suddenly started getting much, much worse. And then the vet at the time then told me, okay, you can either do like your options are neurectomy, which I said, I didn't want to do that. And she said, okay, your other option then is to have him put to sleep because at the time he was on two butte a day. I think it was, yeah, two butte a day. He had the shoes on, he'd had the evicted birth injections and the vet was like, there's, there's nowhere else you can go from here. So I was at the point where I was getting messages from people at the yard every day saying Frankie's laying down again, he's not getting up. When he does get up, he's just hobbling around. He doesn't want to move. He doesn't really want to eat. He doesn't want to, like, he was in a lot of discomfort, which was horrible to see. And to be fair, I don't, I don't blame them, but like anyone that looked at him at that time would have probably said to put him to sleep because he was in a bad state at that point. So after that, the vet basically said to me, she said, I'll give you enough you to keep him comfortable for the next month so you can come to terms with, you know, him having to be euthanized. And I thought, okay, so I've got one month to see if there's absolutely anything I can do to make him at least feel sound. So he had the shoes taken off. We uh, changed his diet slightly. So where he was living out 24-7, he started coming in during the daytime with soaked hay and going out overnight when the sugar in the grass is lower. I took him off um, everything with alfalfa and molasses on, um, in it. He went on the progressive uh, pro-hoof platinum balancer. He was put on MSM, Boswella and micronized linseed. And I started hand walking him on the road. And within... Within literally probably that that next month, he was off all butte completely and filled sound. Not riding sound, but uh, filled sound. And then from there, he then went to the track delivery in Somerset for a couple months and only recently came back at the start of March or middle of March, sorry, this year with the thumbs up to come back into rhythm work and sound, basically. Wow, that's amazing. And so now it's just basically like you're what to keep him sound it's it's diet management it sounds like mostly for him right yeah very very much so i mean he is he's prone to laminitis as well so the diet for him is a massive part of it perhaps more than you know some of the other horses because he is so he's so sensitive to sugars and grass and well just sugars in general my horses too yeah he does have to be like micromanaged in terms of the diet a little bit um, but it keeps him sound, it keeps him happy. And it was a bit of an adjustment when he came back from the track livery to sort of comfortably be able to get him back out in, in the field. But we've sort of, we've worked out a way basically where, where he, all the horses graze down the fields to basically nothing. And then he's allowed on there with hay. And then that's how we're keeping him sort of happy and comfortable at the moment. Yeah, that's awesome. So Carrie, I know that you did talk a little bit about the diagnosis and how it was through nerve blocks and, you know, it was diagnosed as heel pain. And so do you think too, that the diet for your horse plays one of the biggest roles in comfort? Yeah. 
So, you know, I, my horses are turned out. I mean, we have a barn and we have like pens and stuff, but my horses are turned out 24 seven for the most part. Anyway. So I, um, I have some pretty rich pasture grass. There's probably like 40 acres of my property. That's like incredibly rocky. It's harsh, like rocks. It's like boulder type big. Anyway. So I think that's like why part of the reason that we've been, cause I actually have all my horses barefoot at this point, even the ones that we're using for like competition. Cause my daughter is a barrel racer. So I think that's like part of the reason that I'm able to have success doing this without really putting that much effort into it. It's because I have like this rocky, it goes from being like incredibly rocky to like this lush meadow. And then we have like a creek. So they kind of like can go through from like rocks to like water and like a soft, they have like all the varied. And then we actually, we have a sand arena too. So they go through like all that all the time. The thing is with Squirt is that she was shod for probably for her five, six, seven, eight-year-old year, she was she was shod probably almost all year. Maybe we'd pull her shoes on the summer. And then at the time that she came up really lame, I actually had one of the best farriers in the state shoeing her. And then during that period of time, it was one spring, Squirt came up lame, like right when the grass started to come in. And it was like right before state finals. And it was just not an ideal time for her to be lame. So we ended up not being able to bring her to state finals. That's when I got the heel sore diagnosis. And then I realized that I've just seen my, I've had other horses go through the bar shoes and the Osphos and it's not worked. <laughs> so I didn't want to do that. I was like, well, maybe if it doesn't, if barefoot doesn't work, we can go that way. But I didn't want to take her that way. Cause I've seen it not work, <laughs> you know, like, you know, from firsthand experience. So that's why um, we took her barefoot. I found a trimmer and she did take a year though. We did have to exercise her. I think exercising was like a big part of it. She wasn't like entirely sound for that first year, but we just stuck with it. And now, I mean, she's sound now. I mean, she is sound. My, my youngest daughter uses her. She like runs barrels and poles for my little kid. Oh, that's so cool. And she, she's actually a big money winner. <laughs> that's awesome. So it's been good. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, yeah. like, what you're talking about movement, I think that that's, I mean, similar to us going to the gym, it's so easy for hooves to atrophy if they're just not moving and not getting worked, you know, and the more that they do, if it's good movement, if they're like able to move comfortably and land well, I think it's the, one of the biggest things I see in clients to see their feet get healthier and their movement get better is to use their internal structures. So... Lou, my osteopath, she recommended that I put everybody on like a loose mineral. And that's what I've given to Squirt. And then they all have salt. And then she just gets hay pretty much free choice, even though right now she's kind of having to be limited because she's getting too fat because the it's a spring grass is like a big thing for her. She cannot have it. And that's all we've really done for her. And then sometimes I give her extra magnesium like right now because she has she has like some kind of sensitivity to spring grass. Which obviously it's the sugar. I was gonna say I see a lot of horses diagnosed as navicular that actually are are just sensitive to diet. You know, they come up sound once you get a little bit tighter about their like you're saying, like their grass intake. Or I've definitely seen increased magnesium help a lot too. <clears throat> I just want to make sure that Hannah too. Um, I don't think we've heard from Hannah yet, right? Um, no. Oh, awesome. So, um, <laughs> no, that's all right. So, um, it was a point to point horse that went lame so I race rode her for three years and she went out on her holiday at the first UK lockdown um she went out sound and I got her back into cell work 
thing in sort of July that year after three months off and she was very mildly lame on her left floor persistently. So had a vet out who came and did a nerve block, which blocked to the back of the foot. And we had coffin joint injections done that worked. She came sound. So continued to work in her and took her just for a little show jumping practice. So we jumped just some very, very small show jumps. But when we got back home, she was lame again. Got the vet back out. Try bar shoes or pad shoes. No, actually, we started with pad shoes, actually. So put pad shoes on. That helped her a little bit. But she wasn't quite fully there. So came back out and did x-rays. That didn't really show any damage. I thought she had a little bit of ring brain, but he said nothing that was unusual for a horse of her age. We had her navicular bursa injected as well. The, the vet wasn't sure whether there was a bit of DDFT damage on her or not. So he said there wasn't much point doing an MRI because the treatment would be the same. So uh, we had the navicular bursa injected and she went into bar shoes. She was okay, but not quite sound at that point. I changed farriers and I showed the x-rays to the farrier. And he said her hoof balance was wrong. He said, we need to take the shoes off to allow the foot to rebalance again. So that's what we did. I took the shoes off. I immediately changed her diet as well. So she went on the progressive pro-hoof platinum, took off any cubes. And so for the first two weeks, she was just in the field, not wearing shoes. After those two weeks, I started taking her to an arena I just walked her in hand for several weeks, twice a week, up to three times a week. And then I, I got her hoof boots and walked her in hand in the hoof boot. Uh, that's what we did for a few months. And then she was getting better and better. She was sound on, you know, on tarmac in hand on a flat road. She's still a little bit lame up a hill on tarmac at that point. So I started riding her just in walk in the arena and just, yeah, it's quite quite slow progress. And yeah, no, she's kind of slowly getting better and better. It probably took about nine months until her uh, hoofs were like really quite strong again. I jumped her over just over a little shade jump after, probably after about eight months or so from going barefoot. I think a year after she went barefoot, we were back out competing. Two team chasers and a hunt race barefoot in November. We've been doing dressage competition and some yeah, clear round shade jumps. I keep her on quite a traditional livery yard. She's out 24-7, probably eight or nine months a year. And then in winter, she comes in and stables. She's on a meadow grass halid. She gets just normal grass. I restrict her grass a little bit. I think a, an important part with her is to keep her fit and not fat. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it sounds like from pretty much everyone who's shared their story that everyone has changed diet in some way, whether that's to be really careful with grass intake or sugars or incorporating some kind of like minerals or mineral balancing. Is that right? Did I hear that from everybody? Um, yeah. Laura here. I haven't done anything in terms of diet, but I've never really fed him anything anyway. Oh, um, right. he, he, early on, I tried him on different mixes and so forth, but his brain couldn't take it. So I, if I gave him any hard feed at all, he became completely unrideable as a young horse. And we're talking very small amounts. So over the years, he has had minimal feeding, hay, grass, salt, sometimes maybe linseed if he needs it in the winter. Yeah. And I, I usually say for, you know, my hoof rehab cases, I don't want them on any hard feed either. But typically a lot of the horses I see, I do have them go on or I ask or request that they go on some sort of vitamin or mineral supplement and just fed in like hay pellets or something like that to make sure that they're getting what my, my area tends to be high iron in the hay, um, low copper and zinc. And we can have like high manganese in the water and it ends up throwing all their minerals out of balance. Our fields are very nice. They are um, old permanent pasture. So they haven't had any reseeding or fertilization or so forth for at least 20 years. So very natural state. There's a lot of different plants and they also have access to a hedge that has a lot of different um, plants in it. So I think he's probably getting a more varied diet than a normal horse who would be on a pasture. Yeah. And I do think a lot is to be said for gut health. You know, if horses are able to have access to a lot of different forage and their microbiome has a good diversity, I think that the healthier their gut is, the better they can absorb what they are eating in terms of their forage. And it, benefits the feed a lot. So I think that, you know, access to the different hedges and everything like you were talking about is probably a huge advantage. And so I think one thing that I have changed my thoughts on a lot is just like the navicular diagnosis in general. So I was wondering if people could share what were your thoughts on navicular before having a horse that you rehabbed and maybe what your thoughts on navicular are now in terms of like, have they changed at all? Were you scared of the diagnosis when you first heard it? That kind of thing. So I'm guessing I'm the youngest one here. So I'm only 19. So I've probably got a lot less sort of years as well. Definitely have a lot less years of experience with horses. So when, you know, I got the navicular diagnosis, I hadn't really heard of it before the only thing i've been told about navicular is that if a horse has navicular it's either put to sleep or it's retired that that's all i knew about it and actually somebody at the yard did say when you know it came back that frankie had navicular i think one of the first things they said was so when is he being put to sleep um so i'm on sort of a fairly traditional livery yard as well where sort of everyone was saying like why don't you try the shoes why don't you just put him on view until he's not comfortable anymore like all sort of things like that and again because I am quite young it was quite difficult to go against what everyone's trying to tell you to do but at the end of the day I thought you know Frankie's my like my only horse and I know that regardless of what happens I'm going to keep him for life as long as my circumstances don't change drastically so I might as well 
do my absolute best to fix him. And also I'm going to uni to study vet medicine. So I had an interest in looking into alternative sort of ways of rehabbing or helping in any way. So that's when I got told about the Barefoot Rehab Benedictular Group. And when I had a look on there, I was I was like, okay, how comes nobody's ever mentioned this to me before? How comes the, the vets and the farrier and like nobody said to me, why don't you try doing this? Even though Frankie was sort of barefoot at diagnosis, looking back at photos of his feet that I had from when he was first diagnosed and how long his toes were and his heels were underrun and that was thrush. And I was like, why why did nobody tell me about this to start to start with? Why was it automatically, you know, you either need to denerve him or put him to sleep or keep him on view? So I think my perception is that it's definitely changed of the fact that it's not just a disease or condition that you manage until it can't be managed anymore and the horse has to be put to sleep it's something especially when a lot of it is soft tissue and this is what always got me is that when if a horse has a soft tissue injury elsewhere in the body the the general protocol for that is you know give them six months to a year off work on box dress field dress whatever but when it's soft tissue injury within the hoof it's put shoes on you know inject them and get them back into work basically and that's what always that's what always confused me but after seeing Frankie's rehab he had just over a year and a half off in total you know fully barefoot diet changes and I was like okay so this isn't something where you just need to you know keep the horse on multiple different drugs and injections all the time and expensive shoes all the time until a couple years down the line they get to the point where they have to be put to sleep anyway it's something that you can well not forget about I think that's the wrong way of it's the wrong way of saying it it's almost as if the horse sort of forgets that they've got all these problems within their hoof if that makes sense I mean Frankie definitely has the way that he's acting now it's like you wouldn't look at him and be like yeah that's a horse that has this and that and xyz wrong with him yeah yeah it's Laura here I was going to say when I when my horse first got diagnosed I mean this is ages ago it was in 2008 I knew virtually nothing about navicular other than he said degenerative disease and in time it's not good news and I completely blindly followed the vet's advice um, didn't question any of it kind of let them run with it and uh, let the vet speak to my farrier who was also a remedial farrier and explain exactly what they wanted done over the years as, as the horse started to slowly first he got sound and then slowly slowly started to get worse and um, I kind of thought well that's probably we just need to stay on really soft ground and just do the little he can and from time to time my farrier was dropping me hints saying he thinks he would be a really good candidate for going barefoot but I never really investigated that any further because I had no experience of barefoot at the time every horse at our yard was shod so that was the thing to do and it was only when, through necessity, when he was 18 and when my farrier was off sick for a long term, that I couldn't get the shoes done the way I thought they needed to be done. And I then thought, we'll just take them off. I literally, within one farrier appointment, I said, if you can't do the shoes the way I want them, then just don't do them at all. And then once he started getting better and it took many months, that's when I started researching into barefoot rehab 
And that's when I started learning more. And all of a sudden, it all started making sense. And the real turning point was when I allowed him to go completely self-trimming. So I wouldn't have either a professional or myself tinkering with the feet. And yeah, that was probably six years ago, five, six years ago when I stopped trimming completely. And now 26, he's sound as anything. He gallops, he piaffs, he will go on for hours. You know, there's no sign of sign of any pain. He lands heel first, he's forward. And it's, it's quite amazing because he was in um, remedial shoes for six years. So, you know, that wasn't doing his hooves probably any favours because he was slowly getting worse. But even after all of that time, the barefoot and the self-trimming has been able to turn him around to a point where now you wouldn't know there was any, ever anything wrong with him. And so now, I guess a follow-up question is, you know, if you heard of a navicular diagnosis now, would you be as upset about it or would you, you know, worry as much about it knowing now what kind of rehab you did with your current horse? I certainly wouldn't be, not in the slightest. I would go straight into barefoot rehab and start working on the surfaces where the horse will land heel first and go from there. I think for me, I... It was, you know, an incredibly scary diagnosis, you know, she was facing retirement or, you know, or maybe just having to retire as a broodmare or completely just retire. You know, I was told this a a degenerative disease that it would never get better. So initially it was super scary like that. And then this farrier came out and came up with a another solution that I didn't really know about, I suppose. I've always had my horses shod and that just gave light at the end of the tunnel. It, it was quite a long process, but I'm amazed at how she's doing now, how you know, how happy she is in her feet. You know, she she doesn't get trimmed much, but they're all, you know, adjusting naturally and she's kind of grown a bit of a flare to the inside uh, I think acts as a, as a bit of a stilt. I'm still amazed at how it's just enabled her to come back and perform to the level that she used to and quite amazing what, what it can do. Yeah. And so your farrier recommended you pull the shoes? Yes. So he was the one who told me that that was kind of the only way that she'd get a sound again. I suppose if the professional who you know, makes his living by shoeing horses tells you to pull the shoes off, you have to listen. Yeah, I mean, that's really cool. Um, I, you don't often hear that, so it's awesome. Yeah, no, he's he's uh, he's an amazing farrier, actually. He really cares about the welfare of the horses. You know, come out several times a month to look, just to look at her to make sure that she's comfortable initially. Um, so he was you know, the one professional that provided a lot of help and support initially yeah and to sort of wrap up what advice might you give to somebody who has a horse that has been recently diagnosed with navicular i would say first of all don't be scared which is it's difficult to you know be faced with this what most people assume is a terrifying diagnosis sort of work through what works for your horse i think with me it was a lot of trial and error so I think most of the others in here have said their horses are self-trimming. Frankie is not. He is on a four-week schedule with the farrier and he only has very minimal trims to keep his feet balanced so they don't go back to how they were, which kind of started this whole thing. 
he now has regular body work as well it was a lot of trial and error with the diet and I think a lot of the time it, it is trial and error with the horses but it's one of those things that you can't you can't rush and especially when it gets to the point when the horse starts looking sound that's when you don't want to rush it especially I think a lot of people are almost encouraged by the the vets sometimes that when the horse looks sound just get straight back to what you were doing previously but in in my experience at least you always want to give it a little bit more time than what you probably think you should I think that was a really good point of uh, not going back to what you were doing previously because one of the things I forgot to mention with my Dublin is that every time he's been lame and especially with this navicular stuff, the better I've learned to ride, the better he has gone and the sounder he has become. So rather than trying to ride him forward and long and low, if I ride him fairly collected most of the time, it seems to be the best way to go with him. He's a horse that's naturally super forward. And if I don't kind of address his balance, then he he drags himself along on his forehand. But I think one of the one of the reasons why he's still so sound is that for a number of years now I've ridden him quite collected, so quite light up the front. I would say do as much research as you can. There's so much information out there. And if you, you know, you do research and you find out a plan of action to enable your horse to have the best chance of getting sound again, then I think that also just changes your mindset. You know, it might give you hope that there's, there's a chance to get back to full work again and gives you something to work towards. Yeah. And then uh, Carrie, I guess, you know, did you have any advice for someone who has a horse that was diagnosed or has been diagnosed with navicular? I honestly would just immediately try to find this is change the diet and try to find the most information or find somebody to help you figure out the diet for your area. Or I think that that's like what I think is the most important. That was the most important thing with our horse telling me that she just cannot have that grass, you know, Yeah. but she wasn't on grain or anything, but she was, you know, she just really has a sensitivity because that's when every year it's been every year since this all started, probably in like 2018. She might come up a little bit sore like every spring unless like this year, you know, we have her in because she just cannot have the spring grass. That's what's caused this probably from the start. But I'm not going to be surprised if there is some kind of injury in her foot from being used because she was used pretty hard in the mountains for a couple of years. And then it's just when this grass comes in, it just makes it flare up for whatever reason. I, you know, that's what... That's been our experience. So I really think that sugar has a big part of this, or at least it does with our particular horse. I am. Um, I just. I just want to add really quickly before um, it finishes as well that anybody who is listening and you know is going through a navicular diagnosis, get second and third opinions if if you want to, because that's what I ended up doing. Um, second opinions from different vets, different farriers. Obviously, it depends on you know everyone's individual situation, but at the end of the day, you know you are your horse's voice. And you're the one that has to be their advocate. So if what one professional is saying to you doesn't quite sit right or you want to get a second opinion, there's absolutely no harm in doing that. And in my case, it's what sort of ended up saving my horse's life and the reason he's still here. So I think that's definitely something that you shouldn't feel ashamed or bad about doing, sort of going and getting different opinions. Yeah. I second that too. Get different opinions. There's lots of vets and lots of vets have different experiences and 
I found an osteopath, which I would highly recommend if anybody's like hit a brick wall because she has really helped us. She's just been completely awesome helping us keep these horses sound without, you know, having to go the traditional route of like injections and shoes and all that kind of stuff. I would just add on the diet as well that I find, at least with my horse, she... She's very sensitive to grass and sugar, et cetera, if she's overweight and unfit. Whereas if she's in a good body condition and she's fitter, then she seems to actually be able to handle a bit more sugar or maybe more sugary haylage, et cetera. That's actually a really interesting point that when the horse is a little bit trimmer, they might be able to handle the grass a little bit better. So what I do with my horses is I let them drop weight in the winter. And yeah. that so far, that would. Mm-hmm. They have always been good with the spring grass, whereas horses that get fairly, get very fat or round in the winter, they are the ones who start getting foot sore as soon as the spring grass comes. But every year that I've managed to let my horses drop the weight in the winter, they've actually been absolutely fine when the grass comes. Mm. I, I do, I do the same. Go, go wait up in winter. Yeah. Awesome. Well, honestly, I've really loved hearing all your stories and this has been really great. Um, And I really appreciate you guys giving me, you know, a good chunk of your day and letting me talk to you about this. That's no problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And nice to hear all your stories. (laughs) Yeah. So cool. (laughs) All right. Well, have a good rest of your day, everyone. Thank Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.